Glory. You know, the, the best place to be today is in the presence of God. Did you hear me? Because it just has a way of assuaging all of the fears and challenges that we face and giving us a new perspective on whatever we're dealing with. I've been in a, actually started a new series January 1st. Can't get off of it. It's just crazy. So uh, I did take a vacation Sunday. Had a couple of, a couple of Sundays because I just needed a break. I didn't take one in December. Uh, but other than that, 10 weeks here. This is number 10, a shaking and an awakening. How many know we're in the middle of both of those right now? How many know the, the shaking is happening right now? And people don't realize, you know, uh, I've heard all of my life that Jesus was coming back and I always wondered what that time uh, would look like. And here we are. It looks like we are the generation that could see Jesus uh, come back. And, uh, you know... Um, it's kind of like the boy that cried wolf. You know, you just keep saying the same thing over and over, and people become numb to it. When I was young, I heard that Jesus was coming back, and we sang it in the Baptist church about Jesus coming back. And, you know, you almost become numb to it. People don't realize what the days just before Christ's return will look like. Well, you know what they're going to look like? What it's looking like right now. And that's what Jesus said. And I encourage you to go back uh, Matthew. Jesus talked about end times because his disciples asked him, what it would look like before he came back, and uh, that is uh, actually recorded uh, in three places in the New Testament, particularly Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, or sister chapters, so to speak, because they talk about Jesus, what, pe what Bible scholars call his Olivet Discourse, where his disciples ask him, what will it be like just before you come back? And y'all, it's hand in glove to what, what's happening right now, and what people don't realize is that uh, the time just prior to Jesus' return, it's actually a time of judgment. And I've said this over the last number of weeks, but I need to say some of these things over and over so you just get an understanding of where we are and what's happening. The Bible talks about the doctrines of Christ in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. One of those doctrines is the doctrine of eternal judgment. And people don't realize that there is a judgment side to the kingdom of God. How many hear what I just said? In fact, there's probably less teaching on hell today than ever, and people are perhaps closer to hell today than ever. Isn't that crazy? Uh, I wonder who's behind that, you know? But nonetheless, the time just prior to Jesus' return, it actually is a time of judgment. So we've been in the church age that started when Jesus was raised from the dead, and uh, and uh, they, we came into the, we've been coming into the family of God via the new birth. All of these uh, centuries since, th since then, this is the 21st century of the church age. And, uh, but it's a time of judgment. So we're leaving the church age. We're going into a, an age of judgment. And in that age of judgment, as uh, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that those things that cannot be shaken and only those things will remain. That's where we are. And so everything around us is shaking pretty crazy, would you say? And uh, you think it can't get any worse and then another week happens and it's like, how, how do we get here, you know? I was thinking about this yesterday and preparing for today and a word. God usually gives me one word to typify something and he gave me one word that in my mind typifies today and it's the word challenge. And you could uh, change that word and say on every level of life we find ourselves challenged. Is that true? The norms are being challenged on every level of culture today. And um, financially, how many right now, that's the most current challenge is 
perhaps the financial challenges the banks are you know we're really close and, and maybe even worse than where it is was it 2008 when the banks had failures and people are looking back uh, uh, to back to the 1930s to the Great Depression in fact I read a book back 21 years ago and it was a, a secular book called The Coming Crash and uh, he talked about what to do with what you have when the crash comes and he said it's inevitable that it comes and he talked about it. we're living in the middle of that right now so uh, you know the norms are being challenged financially we're being challenged you say well pastor what do I do with my fan finances you need to ask the Lord I am not a financial advisor, and I can't tell you. I know the Lord began to speak to me about my finances several years ago, Susan and I. And we would have conversations, and I would be thinking about something in this. Here's how marriage ought to be. You're thinking about something, husband, and then you're having conversation with your wife, and what you're thinking comes out of her mouth. Yes or no? When that happens, you know, be aware, husbands. God just may be speaking to you through your wife. Hello? Right? And so Susan, we've had, and so we had a conversation and we were talking about our finances, you know, and, and she said something. I said, you've been thinking that? She said, uh-huh. I said, how long you been thinking that? It was about as long as I've been thinking about it. So we made some changes with respect to some financial things. So see, I'm just saying that God will direct your steps with all the challenges that we face. How many hear me? So my encouragement, and I could get into all this, don't want to, you know, don't live hand to mouth and don't live, don't go to, let let me just say it this way, don't go to the grocery store and just buy the next meal you're about to eat. Get you a little bit extra. How many hear me? And don't expect the bank to be opened if you need a dollar or two. Have, Have some in your pocket. How many hear me? Because it's a different time. The norms are being challenged. Relationally, the norms are being challenged. And we've talked about that a good bit. You know, no culture can overcome uh, uh, the breakdown of a family. The family unit is, the, is, the, is what a, a culture is founded upon. A nation is founded upon the family unit. You, you attack the family unit, you lose the ability to have a cohesive nation. And, and you don't realize that's what's happening right now? You, you think people are being woke? No, they're, they're going broke relationally. If you go woke, you go broke relationally. I don't care if you don't like my terms. I'm not using any term anybody in the secular world is using. I want to say what God says. But let me just say the wokeness that we're experiencing right now and the, and the sexual mores that are changing and being challenged Telling a boy he can be a girl and a girl she can be a boy and they can actually take hormones and change their, and change their bodies. It is, it is, is an offense against God to mess with his creation. And I just want you to know it's offensive to him. And we need to repent as a nation or things are just going to get worse. How many hear me? So see that the norms are being challenged in every way. I could get and talk about that for a long time. Mentally, the norms are being challenged. And what used to, used, what people, what psychologists and, uh, used to say was, was mental disorder, now it's rational and okay. Something's wrong with that, my friends. Politically, things are awry. And let me just say, politically, what's, what's going on is there is, a, there is a, um, an attitude of world control that has emerged over the last decades of time. It's really been simmering behind the scenes for a long, long time. But now it's surfacing, and there is a global movement to join the nations together. How many know that? You know, I used to fly a lot. I traveled 
to lots of different places on missions trips, and I would go to a counter, and everywhere I would go, regardless of the nation, I would often see this, uh, this, this big, in big letters behind the counter, one world. And it made me think, well, looky, 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 this thing's beginning to emerge. And now there's a global governance that is seeking to emerge that joins the nations together. And the goal of that is to get a nation to, uh, to disband, to disregard, disregard the, uh, the, uh, the founding documents that made that nation great. Here in America, it would be a movement to forget about our Constitution and Bill of Rights uh, and, and go for the greater ideal of, of, of letting all the nations have the same ideology and the same benefit from that. Uh, that's called the spirit of Antichrist, my friends. That's the reason our southern borders are porous, because they want everybody from every nation to amalgamate into every other nation so nobody has a history so it can be governed easily by the global governance. You know, if you know the Bible and you go through current events, you kind of are able to put the pieces together. If you don't know the wisdom of God through the Word of God, this stuff just doesn't make sense. Did you hear what I'm saying? But there is a rhyme and a reason to what we're going through. How many hear what I just said? And so there's also an, an, an ideology that wants to join all of the finances of the world uh, into a digital currency at some point, the dollar will be ditched for some kind of digital currency. All that's in the works, and I've read a lot uh, extensively about that, and that could come sooner than we may realize, and the whole, whole uh, realization behind that is control. If the enemy can control, and, and people know if they can control your money, they control you. So you just got to be aware of all these things. All of these are the challenges. Then we have the spiritual challenges of our age. Witchcraft is, uh, is catching on uh, among the young and all kind of things that go along with that. So uh, Satan is challenging God again for world control with the emergence of the global governments, governance financial system that will one day be under the control of the person the Bible calls the Antichrist. So again, you know, you just think about it this way. Uh, what if you knew where you're going? And Satan knows that his eventual doom will be a place called the lake of fire. Once he's, ch he's chunked in there by Jesus, he can never get out. And so he knows his hide is going to burn. So, you know, he had, knows he got just a short time. So how many know he's, he's stirring up the pot right now worldwide and creating a lot of angst? And as he did in heaven, think about it this way, Isaiah 12, Ezekiel 28 show us the origins of Satan and, and those that work along with him, the fallen angels and such. They actually fell from heaven because Satan had an idea that he was smarter than God, could, could, uh, could govern the universe better than God. And so he, uh, he uh, tried to uh, take the place or usurp the throne of God uh, eons ago before the creation of the human race. He's trying to do it one more time. And so that's called the end times. That's called the time just prior to Jesus' return. That's called the challenges that we face today. Everything that we face has a spiritual origin. How many hear me? The Apostle Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these demonic forces, right? So in the light of all of that, you know, uh, you, you got two vantage points. You could either, you know, get you some food, get you some water, go, go hide in a hole in the ground somewhere and say, oh, Jesus, please come and get me. Or you can have another ideal. This first one is not the will of God for you. 
It is not the will of God for you to crawl in the cave with you some water and some food and just wait till Jesus comes back. No, it's his will for you not to be on the defensive. It's God's will for you to be on the offensive. How many hear what I just said? In fact, Jesus said it this way, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And so what he was saying was the enemy, Satan attacks you when you become a believer. He makes life difficult and challenging, but the idea is he doesn't want you to just kind of be reticent and just crawl and just uh, in a hole and wait. He wants you to stand up and be strong. The violent take it by force. We're not supposed to be on the defensive. We're supposed to be on the offensive. So I spent the last number of weeks in this series talking about all the challenges that we face. And, you know, that's a lot to say, and I can't go and, and rehash it and re-say it, but it's all online. If you uh, haven't seen it, go back and look at some of that. The notes are there. In fact, you can go to our website. My notes are available right now, so you can see what I may say, or the Lord may change that. But nonetheless, they are there. One thing I was listening several weeks ago, I I go for long walks usually on Saturdays and I pray and stuff and I listen to podcasts many times when I'm walking and several weeks ago I was, anybody heard of a guy from Fresno, California named Mario Murillo? The wonderful man of God. I said this several weeks ago uh, and I thought about it when I was talking about being on the offensive, not the defensive. I like what he said and in the middle of his podcast he said, end times is not happening to me. I thought, well, he said, I'm happening to end times. Now, you know, that's a mindset. That means regardless what comes, I have one ambition. That is to share Jesus with other people and get them unchained from the bonds of darkness that hold their life and, and hinder them from God's best. How many hear me? And so if you get that kind of mindset, instead of being on the defensive, well, I need to get my, I need to get my dollar bills, my water, and my food, and I need just to call and hold. No, 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 no. You go out where people are, and you love them and share Jesus with them and ask God to give you opportunities to minister to them because that's what he wants to do. How many hear me? I noticed in the early church, and I started talking about this last week, um, God's answer to the end times for the church is to rise up. In fact, I mentioned it a lot. Isaiah chapter 60, arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. See, when God was speaking to Isaiah 2,500 years ago, he was seeing our day, and he knew that the darkness could, could potentially overwhelm us, and he said through the prophet Isaiah to us, I believe today, rise up. Shine, don't get down in the hole. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. He said, darkness covers the earth and great darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you. And when I was thinking about that yesterday, I was thinking about the book of Acts. I mentioned some of this last week, but Peter and John, for instance, says to, to say it again last week, I mentioned it, but uh, Peter and John, uh, 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 God used them to heal a lame man who had been at one of the temple gates, the 12 gates to the temple, and one of them, he was sitting there, had been there for years, and decades really, never had walked. They just, he out wanted money from them, and Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have any money, but let me tell you what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up! And his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he got up, and he didn't just get up, he walked and leapt and praised God. It was a miracle! How many hear what I just said? You're looking like, okay, what about it? Well, it was a miracle. 
And everybody was astounded that the, because everybody went by the gate day after day after day going into the markets to get their food and, you know, doing business and this and that. And he was always there. I need a, I, I, money, money. And, 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 you know, he was a beggar. And then when he wasn't there anymore and they saw him walking around, walking and leaking, I bet he walked and leaked and praised God everywhere he went. Why, if I couldn't walk, I'd be just dancing and jumping. I'm walking down the street. So why are you doing that? So I never could walk before. And that's what he was doing. People got a hold of it. And they were astounded at what happened. And the word spread. Christianity began to grow. And there was real revival in Jerusalem. And then the the first people that get upset when God does something is religious people. Is that true? And, and then, then, then the government saw it, and it caused a stir among the government authorities because they were concerned that, that maybe it would cause an uprising among the Romans, and maybe these people wouldn't pay their taxes, and this could be bad. So, so you know, the uh, disciples, the, the answer to persecution is prayer. And they went to their own company to begin to pray, but instead of crawling in a hole and saying, Oh, God, let this pass over, here, listen to what they said. I mentioned this last week. They were proactive. They were optimistic. In fact, they were offensive. Uh, now, O oh Lord, hear their threats, Acts 4.29. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer meeting, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They preached the word of God with boldness. So instead of saying, oh God, please help us till all this passes over, they said, God, give us some more. Let the power of God come on us so we can minister life to every person that we see in Jesus' name. And God was so excited about it, maybe he shook his foot and the whole building shook. And he got excited about it. We looked last week at the book of Acts and we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 last week. We looked at the moving of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And then Paul talked about the manifestation of spiritual gifts. There are uh, nine of them listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and um, signs and wonders as they pray. Let signs and wonders follow the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Those signs and wonders are spiritual gifts. God has an answer to the challenges and the pressures of our day and it is the power of the Holy Ghost. How many hear what I just said? Y'all are not very excited about it. And I'm going to say it again. The answer to the challenges we face today is the power of the Holy Ghost. Let me say it one more time. The answer to the challenges today is the power of the Holy Ghost. I want to read before we go any further here. And uh, I want to read something from a book that I have. And I've got it on my iPad. I've got it in several ways. I have it in hard copy, and this is iPad version. Uh, Kenneth Hagin, Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin, one of my mentors in the Lord, in the 1950s eight times. And uh, the first time he, he uh, appeared to him was September of 1950. That's 72 years ago. And Jesus told him that we are in the last days. But something that he said keeps, keeps uh, speaking to me. I've read this book many times. And I think it was copyright like 1974, 75 or so. But the, uh, Jesus appeared to him. And uh, Kenneth Hagin had a prophet's ministry. So that spiritual realm was very clear, clear to him and very real to him. And I'm just going to get right in the middle of what he said. Jesus had appeared to him. He was in a tent meeting in Rockwall, Texas. And it was an evening meeting. Not very many people were there. But listen to what I'm just going to read from his book. 
And he, I'm, I'm jumping right in, and he says, About that time the Holy Spirit came upon me. It seemed as if a wind were blowing on me, and I fell flat on my face on the platform. He said, I lay under the power of God. It seemed as if I were standing on a high plane somewhere in space, and I could see for miles and miles around me, just as one can stand on the great plains of the United States and gaze off into the distance for miles. And then he goes on to say, I looked in every direction. I couldn't see a sign of life anywhere. There were no trees or grass or flowers or vegetation of any kind. There were no birds or animals. I felt so lonely. I was not conscious of my earthly surroundings. I'm in the wrong spot. And so he goes on. I'm going to go down to this one. This is what I wanted to read. And, and then so a, a, a rider on a horse came and gave him a scroll. He read it. And on the scroll were the terms war and destruction. How many know we're really close to World War III? Now, if all you do is listen to the mainstream media, you won't know what I just said. Did you know we're really close to war with Russia and China? Did you know they're both working in cahoots together? Yeah, yeah, it's a real, it really is the time to pray. A lot of people don't want to talk about what's going on, and they want to, so to speak, hide their hand, head in the sand like an ostrich, but this is the time to be alert and awake and to pray. How many hear me? And so uh, real challenges are coming to our nation, and um, it feels like, and I do believe that uh, part of this is we're in judgment because we've left the principles that God laid out to make our nation great. We had Judeo-Christian ethic, which we have just we have just thrown away in the name of, of being smart and wise in our age. How many hear me? So uh, jumping on down here, here's what I wanted to read. Uh, the, the, the scroll was placed in his hand by this uh, angel riding a horse. I'm going to get down in the middle of it here. The scroll was written in the first person, seemed as if Jesus himself were speaking. I read America's receiving their last call. This is 72 years ago. Some nations already received their last call, will never uh, receive another. Then in large print, it said the time of the end of all things is at hand. That was 72 years ago. Oh, don't forget a day with the Lord is what? Like a thousand, a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Uh, this statement was repeated four or five times. Jesus also said this was the last great revival. Then uh, the reason I read this, he went on to say all of the gifts of the Spirit, listen, all of the gifts of the Spirit will be oper in operation in the church in the last days. And, and the church will do greater things than even the early church did. It will have greater power, greater signs and wonders than were recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. Wow. Did you hear that? Uh, he said that we have experienced many healings, and they were in the middle of a healing revival. In fact, Oral Roberts got to start in 1947-48. They were right in that heyday of that when Jesus appeared to Brother Hagin in his tent. And he said, but now we will behold amazing miracles that have not been seen before. Jesus continued, more and more miracles will be performed in the last days, which are just ahead, for the time for the gift of working of miracles to be more in more prominence. We have now entered into the era of the miraculous. Then he said this, now here's the reason I read it. Many of my own people will not accept the moving of my spirit and will turn back. Did you hear what I just said? and not be ready to meet me at my coming. Do you realize a Lord, large portion of the church in America has put the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the ensuing gifts of the Holy Spirit on the back burner as if we, they're not important today. And that's what Jesus told Kenneth Hagin 72 years ago when he appeared to him in this little tent. 
Many of my own people will not accept the moving of my spirit and will turn back and not be ready to meet me at my coming. Then he says, many will be deceived by false prophets and miracles of satanic origin. But follow the word of God, the spirit of God in me, and you'll not be deceived. I'm gathering my own together and, and preparing them for the time is short. So again, it is not a time to back down and cower down because of what's happening. This is a time to stir up the Holy Ghost in your life. How many hear what I just said? I want to talk about that because the answer to the challenges that you face today is the power of God that comes with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I noted and remembered in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, of course, uh, on Resurrection Sunday, appeared to the disciples at the end of that day and showed that he was alive to them, showed them his hands and his feet. And then appeared to them for 40 days. And, um, and then after that, in Acts chapter 1, it records that on the day that he ascended to heaven, he was talking to them. And I want you to notice what Jesus said. Now, Jesus knew that they were going to face some huge challenges and pressures from their culture. And that it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to be a Christian. If you want an easy life, just go out and sin. That's really simple. You can sin anytime. You can be away from God and do your own thing. That's an easy way to live. But don't forget, with that easy way is a price to pay. And the scripture says the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but the incarceration in hell for eternity. And so a lot of people today are dealing with their pressures by just saying, I'm just going to have a good time. I'm going to party down. I'm going to smoke me some reefer. I'm going to drink me some, I'm going to drink me some stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some pills. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to have all the sex I want. In fact, I'm going to find one of these orgies, and I'm just going to have a big old time. Did you know people are doing that now? Because they've chucked God's word aside and said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Friends, you can do that. You'll pay a price in this life and the next. But there is a much better way to deal with the pressures. Jesus knew his disciples would face tremendous pressures Acts 1 verse 3, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the disciples from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them. Watch, it was a command. Everybody say a command. Do not uh, leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you. The gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days... You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what if somebody said, now I want you to stay right here. There's a big gift that, that's, that I have for you. Now it's coming in a different way, but I don't want you to leave here until you get the gift I have for you. How many like to get gifts? You love to get gifts at Christmas time. You love to get gifts at your, on your birthday. You love to get gifts at various times in your life. And thank God for the ability to receive gifts, right? He told the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. I got this great big gift, a life-changing gift I want to give you. And so, and so they said, okay, I, I guess that's okay then. And then he went further and explained. They had some things to ask him about. Then Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. The gift that he was going to give them was power to overcome in a really dark time. 
And so what he said to the disciples in the first century, he's saying to us today in the 21st century, the same power the early church had is the same power the 21st century end time church has. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. And if we're going to overcome the pressures that we realize in every level of culture today, we need to say the same power that the early church had. We need the same power. How many hear what I'm saying? The cessationists say, well, all of that was just for the first century. That was just to get the, first, just to get the church started. My friends, we've got, we've got challenges just like they had the 21st century. And we need the same power that they had to overcome. Yes or no? He said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I've mentioned this before, but in the context, I want to share some of these things again. That word power is the Greek word dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. And it means inherent power capable of reproducing itself like a dynamo. A dynamo turns and it creates electricity. It takes raw energy and translates it into a usable form. We get three English words from dunamis. Dynamic, dynamite, dynamo. Everybody say dynamic. That means pertaining to or characterized by energy or effective action. Vigorously active or forceful. Energetic. Or like a dynamic president of the firm, uh, one person said. Everybody say dynamite. Uh, Any person or thing having a spectacular effect. Everybody say dynamo. An electric generator, especially for direct current. So again, a dynamo, the idea of, of dunamis, that power, it works in you. You feed yourself with God's Word, you pray, and dynamism comes. Power comes, and it comes not from the outside in, it comes from the inside out, and it stirs you up inside and gives you an ability to resist the world, the flesh, the devil. How many hear me? It gives you an ability to be a witness for Jesus and to resist all of this mess that we, that we see, and it also empowers you to minister life to people who don't know what to do. How many hear me? I found over the 46 and a half years that I have had this dunamis working in me through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It'll root out doubt. It'll root out fear. It roots out uh, uh, unbelief, pessimism, sickness, prejudice, fleshly lusts, sexual lust, the love of money, pride. It roots out ego, self-centered thinking and living. How many hear what I just said? You know, it's crazy that the Satan has been able to get the church to divorce itself from the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Because with that experience comes power, and with that power comes personal freedom. And friends, when you are personally free, doesn't mean you're perfect, it means you're free. You're free from encumbrances. You're free, you're free from the things that held you, held you mentally, held you physically, held you spiritually in bondage, and you're able to go and minister life to others. Yes or no? See, that's the purpose and that's the plan of God for us today. So, so this experience, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, not just for the early church. How many know it's for the church today? Now, I mentioned a, a few Sundays ago, I think it was uh, second Sunday in February, I talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and gave you my experience September 12th, 1976 as a Southern Baptist person. I attended a charismatic church in my hometown at 7.20 that night on a Sunday night after giving my life back to Jesus 
after I had uh, just been rebellious for a number of years. How many know God will have a lot of mercy on you? I don't care what kind of rebellion you've been involved in. And if you've got a personality that, like mine, uh, your worst enemy can be yourself because you can hardly forget and forgive yourself for the things you allowed yourself to do. And that was me as a teenager. I, I you know, other people might complain, but I complained against myself worse than anybody else. How many know God has a lot of grace and mercy and forgiveness? When I gave my life back to Jesus that evening, September 12th, 1976, at seven, I looked at my watch. It was 7.20 p.m. And they gave an altar call at the church I was in. He said, if uh, you want the baptism with the Holy Spirit and you've never had that, uh, you come forward, you can receive. And I went forward. In fact, a friend that uh, Steve, a guy named Steve, who invited me to that church, he said, uh, hey, Mitch, you going forward? And I said, what you want me to go forward for? He said, and here's what he said. And this is the reason. Why. He said, you want more Jesus in your life? I said, well, yeah, yeah. He said, well, you need to go down there then. I said, I'll just march myself right down there. And the associate pastor of that little church in Florence, South Carolina, prayed for me along with a whole bunch of other people that had come down front from Baptist churches and Methodist churches and uh, Presbyterian churches and many other denominational churches and laid hands on me and I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to talk about something that nobody wants to talk about. I prayed in the Spirit. I prayed in another tongue. Did you know I just read that Max Lucado got baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues? Did I read that? I just read that, didn't I? That just, yeah, that's pretty crazy, right? Uh, we could talk about it all that. But anyway, that, that, that happened to me. I'd never had that happen. The only thing I ever remember as a little boy was my Baptist pastor. I can still see him. He had black rimmed glasses. He stood right here. He was standing right on this side of the pulpit. And he said, and speaking in other tongues is of the devil. That, that etched in my head as a kid. And I thought, well, you know, uh, if it's of the devil, I sure don't want that. And so I never thought any more about it until my mother received the baptism with the Holy Spirit in 1975. And her whole life was transformed. This woman went from complaining about everything to praising God about everything. And my brothers and my father and I saw it and saw what happened to Mama. And she told us she got filled with the Holy Ghost. And we, we'd, we'd hear her in her room praying. So what happened? What, what she pray? She was praying in that language that comes with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. How many hear me? Then when I received the next year, then I began to pray in other tongues just like she did. I got baptized with the Holy Spirit that evening, and my life was transformed. Real quickly here, I've shared this so many times over the years, but we always have new people and that's the reason I share some things over and over again. Besides that, you need to hear it more than 10 times. <laughs> I mentioned a few weeks ago, Acts chapter 2, it was a feast day of the Jews called Pentecost. And there were people from all over the Middle East that came to Jerusalem for that festival. In fact, they counted 17 different nationalities from different nations that were there, if you read Acts chapter 2. Well, they were there, and there was a lot of people there. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 1, all the believers were meeting together in one place. The Holy Spirit came, verse 4 says, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And a lot of people read this verse and say, well, they all got filled with the Holy Spirit that first uh, Pentecost Sunday, and, you know... Uh, 
they did that because they all those people that were there in Jerusalem needed to hear the gospel in their own language. So there were 17 languages present. Well, they forgot there were 120 people in the upper room. I got a feeling there were a whole lot more than 17 languages in the 120 people who were praying in the Spirit. Yes or no? And then a lot of people say, well, that was just for that one time. But what they forgot, it had, this phenomenon happened again a number of years later in Acts chapter 8. People in Samaria, uh, a, a guy named Philip went and preached the gospel to these people. They were born again. Jesus came into their lives. And then in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. There was a guy there that saw that through the laying on of, of the hands of Peter and John, these people received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What did he see? It's obvious that they spoke in other tongues like they did in Acts chapter 2. So here's people that were born again. Jesus had cleansed their sins. So let me say this. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. Everybody say, if I'm born again, the Holy Spirit is in me. And we mentioned a number of weeks ago, that's like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus said, uh, she, she had asked him for water. He said, well, I can give you this, but I've got water that you don't understand. If you drink of this other water, you'll never thirst again. And so there is, the, there is the new birth where the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, and it quenches your spiritual thirst. And that's like a well springing up into everlasting life. How many hear what I'm saying? So if you're born again, how many know the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? So there's one experience where the Holy Spirit lives in you, but there's another experience after the new birth that, that comes after the new birth, post-new birth, called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit not only is in you, but He surrounds you with His power. You're immersed in the power of God. Everybody say the word baptize. See, the word baptize literally means to immerse in. So this is, I always use this illustration. I've got a bottle of water here. It's got uh, water in it. The bottle has water in it. And I've enjoyed this water this morning. And uh, so that's you as a Christian. Any believer has the Holy Spirit living in them, in them right? But if I took this bottle and, and put it in, a, in a, a tub of water, suddenly the relationship that bottle has to water changes. Water's all around it. It's not only in it, but it surrounds it. So, you know, um, it's just like you, you know. Right now, you are surrounded by air, right? Because you're living in, uh, on planet Earth, and we have, we have an oxygenated atmosphere. But if you went and jumped in a swimming pool, you can't breathe anymore. Because all around you is water. Is that true? When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, all around you is Holy Spirit. That's what happened to these people. They prayed for these people who had just come to Jesus, not only that the Holy Spirit would indwell them, but they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said it in John 7, 37, If any of you thirst, let him come, come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Verse 38, John 7, By this he spake about the Holy Spirit, 
that those who believed on him would receive the Holy Spirit wasn't yet given because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. The rivers of living water comes with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That's what these Samaritan believers received. Acts chapter 10, maybe 18 years after the day of Pentecost when the first believers received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, Peter uh, had gotten a vision from the Lord. He was sleeping and and he saw uh, all kinds of clean and unclean animals uh, being consumed by him. The Lord said, uh, don't call what I've cleansed unclean. And he was showing Peter that God not only accepted Jewish people into his family, but non-Jewish people. A Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew, right? And so Gentiles could come into the family of God. So Peter was in a in Cornelius's house who was a non-Jewish person and he was preaching this long sermon in verse 44 of Acts 10. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. How? Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now that proves one thing that the speaking in tongues wasn't just for Acts chapter 2 for the 17 nationalities. It also happened in Acts 8 and here in Acts 10. Did you get that? And then I also want you to notice that in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out, he fell on those people. Nobody touched them. Nobody did anything. God gave them the baptism, the immersion in the Holy Spirit. Here when Peter was preaching, well, in Acts 8, there, Philip, uh, Peter and John went from Jerusalem and laid hands on these people who had been born again. They received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But here in Acts 10, here's, here's uh, Peter preaching in a guy's house. And while he's preaching, he, his preaching got interrupted by the Holy Spirit. And he fell on those who were listening to him. They were born again. They were, they were in, they indwelt by the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit. And all one fell swoop. Kahoom. Isn't that awesome? And for they heard them speak with tongues and pray, speaking in tongues and praising God. And then 20 years post-Pentecost, in modern-day Turkey, the city of Ephesus, Apollos was in Corinth, verse 1. Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did, did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here people that were following John the Baptist, believe it or not, 20 years post-Jesus coming. They didn't even know he'd come yet. I mean, my goodness, you think mail's slow now? <laughs> you think information was really slow then? Oh, my goodness. So he said, Jesus has come. He got these people still following John the Baptist, got them born again, took them to some water, got them baptized in water. The Holy Spirit was already in them, right? Right? Because there's two works of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. There's the indwelling of the Spirit and then the baptism or immersion in the Spirit where He surrounds your life. Then verse 6, Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Now, that's exactly what Peter and John did in Acts chapter 8. The Samaritan believers, they had been born again. They probably, most probably, got baptized in water by Philip. But then Peter and John came and laid hands on them, and they received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. How many hear me? And here in Acts 19, same thing happened. These people were baptized in water. That is, they got born again. 
They got baptized. You don't have to necessarily get baptized in water before you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. How about the people in Acts chapter 10? They were born again, filled with the Holy Ghost all at once. Isn't that great? But here in Acts chapter 19, they got born again. They baptized, Paul baptized them in water. Then he laid hands on them. And it says, uh, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Hebrews chapter 6. One of the doctrines of Christ is the laying on of hands. There is the laying on of, of, of hands, uh, for instance, for the sick. And there's also the laying on of hands for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You can get it both ways. You don't have to have hands laid on you. I have many friends who were baptized with the Holy Spirit at home while they were praying. One of my best buddies, he was in his, he was in his, he was in his bedroom at home. And this is in the mid-1970s. And he was a drug addict, came to Jesus, got born again. But you know what? He got to crying out to Jesus in his bedroom and worshiping and praising God. And the same Holy Spirit that fell on the people in Cornelius' household in Acts 10 fell on him. And he began to pray in tongues. And the same Holy Spirit that fell on the believers in the day of Pentecost in the upper room fell on my friend. And he got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And his life was transformed. And I've had many people that have those kinds of testimonies. How many hear me? Here's what I've noticed as I hurry up and conclude. Everybody okay? That's what's so good about today. I can do a little bit. Y'all want me to quit? Now you want to hear the next thing. Just three things. Three things happen. Here's what you need to know. And this is what I noticed when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit that Sunday, September 12, 1976. The next day, I noticed the phenomenon beginning to happen. Three things happened to me that are still happening in my life. And you'll notice if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, you have three, everybody say supernatural. That's a strange word today. You use that word in any setting and people look at you, supernatural, what kind of supernatural? Now, now the word super, it's this compound word. Super means, go look it up, super means above, more than, super, right? Uh, super and then natural. That means above the natural. So when I say three supernatural things happen, uh, things will happen that don't ordinarily happen in you and with you. Did you hear me? So in that sense, it's supernatural. What are the three supernatural things that happen when a person's baptized with the Holy Spirit? Number one, there's a supernatural witness. Everybody say supernatural witness. That is, let me say it a different way, there's a supernatural boldness to share Jesus with people. And that's what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you receive power dunamis when the holy spirit's come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me you will be not just do you'll be a witness your life changes and people look at you and say what you burning up with and you'll say holy ghost <laughs> jesus you'll be witnesses to me in jerusalem judea samaria to the ends of the earth there's a supernatural witness the next morning after i got baptized with the holy spirit i was in college and also I, um, I, I went to work some days early, and so the next morning, I had to be at work, I think 7 o'clock in the morning, I worked at a grocery store when I went to college, and uh, a girl worked there as well, and her name was Jane, she had bright red, she was a beautiful little girl, had bright red hair, and she was in my first grade class at school, and I knew her all my life, and uh, so here's Jane, she comes out the back room, and I was always known for smoking, yes, I used to smoke, I'm not proud of that, but I quit September 12, 1976, I still fill out you know, forms. When's the last time you smoked? September 12th, 1976. 
<laughs> well, that don't count now, you know. <laughs> I did. But uh, she come out the back room, and I hear working on the grocery store aisle. She comes out the back room, and she said, Mitch, give me a cigarette. She was always bumming cigarettes off of me. And when she came around my aisle, she said, Mitch, give me a cigarette. I said, well, well Jane, I don't have one. And the mo- this is the first time in my life this ever happened. The moment I said I don't have one, I heard inside me there was a quickening. It felt like a balloon was blowing up inside me. There was something, and I found out later it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it's that anointing of boldness. And I heard when I felt that, I, I felt something, and I felt words inside, and the words were, no, 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 don't tell her you quit. Tell her Jesus set you free. Well, I hesitated. I said, well, that puts me on the spot. Because she knows I'm a rascal, and I was. You know, the day before I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and gave, you know, the next day, Saturday, Sunday's when it happened. uh, That day before, I was cussing. I was lusting. Because I was lusting with all the rest of the guys. We were peeping our eyes out the back room looking at the girls. And see, everybody knew what, and I smoked. Are you going to go to heaven if you smoke? Well, you just smell bad while you go, but you may go. <laughs> but Jesus wants to set you free from that. So anyway, I'm coming down the aisle, and, and I heard it again. She said, Mitch, give me, she said it again, Mitch, give me a cigarette. And I heard it again second time. <laughs> don't, tell her, don't tell her you don't have any. Tell her Jesus set you free. And, and you know, without thinking, and you know what? You've got to take a step. When God does something new in your life, you've got to be willing to take a step you have never taken. And I just say, well, Jane, I don't have any cigarettes. And, you know, her countenance fell like, because I always said it. Never. And I said, no, Jane, Jesus set me free. When I said Jesus set me free, her eyes got big as saucers. She didn't even say anything to me. She said, well, okay then, and just walked on. <laughs> true, true. But you know what I noticed? Boldness came. Boldness came. And I found boldness come upon me. And I'd be working on the aisle in the grocery store. And somebody would say, somebody would come by me and say, because I'd be, mm-hmm, I'd be, I mean, I'm either humming, whistling, or singing. I said it the other Sunday. And I'd be humming or whatever. And somebody said, well, you're mighty happy today. And I would hear inside me, tell them the joy of the Lord's your strength. Whoa, whoa never said that before and so I say well the joy of the Lord I said well Jesus is the Lord of my life he gave me joy and I never had it before y'all you got to understand when that boldness comes on you if, if you're an introvert it can make you an extrovert yeah. now you don't know this and you wouldn't know this about me but I was born as an introvert and all of my teenage years I'm the guy can sit in the room and nobody recognizes you because I won't say anything to anybody but I got baptized with the Holy Spirit something happened to my personality what was on the inside started coming loose on the outside and I began sharing Jesus with people and I'm not ashamed of him now how many hear me that's that boldness there's a supernatural witness that is a boldness to share Jesus that comes on your life with the baptism with the Holy Spirit you say well I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit then stir yourself up again my friend how many hear me A lot of believers have lost their zeal today and we desperately need to get it back. How many hear me? Number two, a supernatural understanding of the Word comes with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And this is the second thing that I noticed. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, but the natural man does not receive, or you could say understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them or yet understand them. 
because they're spiritually discerned or understood. The natural man, that is the man void of the Holy Spirit's impress upon his life, does not receive or accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness. The Bible doesn't make sense unless the Holy Spirit helps you interpret it. It's just that way. And so I read the Bible. I got stars on my head in the Baptist church for memorizing scriptures as a little boy, you know. And, uh, you know, I memorized lots of scriptures. I read the Bible. My parents made me read the Bible. Even when I was smoking pot, I would go home and read my Bible and pray the Lord's Prayer before I went to sleep. How hypocritical can you possibly be? But this, this uh, supernatural understanding of the word, the next day, September 13th, was a Monday, and I got home from work that evening. We didn't even, and microwaves had just come out. Now, that'll date you right there. And we still had one of those ovens, little tiny ovens on your counter. And my mother always heated my food up. She knew what time I normally got home. She had my food heated up. And, uh, and it was sitting there when I got home. She took the food out the oven. And I sat there and ate my, ate my supper and, uh, or dinner, wherever you're from. And, uh, and then, you know, while I was eating, I was thinking, you know, I want to read the Bible really bad. And, uh, you know, again, I had had a Bible all my life, and my parents had given me several Bibles and such. And uh, I said, for some reason, I saw, so I finished eating my food. I went to my bedroom, which was down the hallway to the left. And I shut the door and, and, and just sat up on my bed uh, on my pillow, and uh, I just said, man, why do I want, and here's what I thought as a teenager, 17, almost 18, why do I want to read this book so bad? Why, what is this? What, I get think, what, what is this? What, why am I so hungry for this? I mean, I really almost wanted to, I just wanted to buy this, like, why am I so hungry? So I said, Old Testament, New Testament, and I'd read, read portions of the Bible a number of times. I said, well, I think I'll start with New Testament. So I read Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Matthew 3, Matthew 4, and by the time I got to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the meek, blessed, you know, blessed, blessed, blessed. I said, what in the blessed world is this? What is going on with me? Suddenly I understood, I understood the word in a way I never had before. I had read the Bible all my life, but not that way. I said, what is this? I have an understanding. I actually got my Bible and looked at it and it said, it said, Holy Bible, and then down here it said King James Version. That was the rage at the time, King James Version. There are lots of versions now. I said, wow, same Bible. Huh. Now what was that? The baptism with the Holy Spirit is, enhances your understanding of Scripture. So let me just uh, cut to the chase. Here's what it does. It makes it very personal to you. And it'll help you understand the Scriptures. And it'll apply the Word to you. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of the Word. How many hear me? There's a supernatural understanding of the Word of God that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without which it just won't be the same. That's all I can tell you. Number three and lastly, so there's a, a supernatural witness, that is a boldness, a supernatural understanding of the Bible. Thirdly, a supernatural, above the natural way to pray. And this one has been such an assist to my life. I've always felt uh, hamstrung when it came to praying, as many people do. In fact, I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church, and my pastor would call on the same deacons. We had several people on the deacon board. And then Sunday morning services, they would lead the church. Sometimes they'd come up and lead the church in, in reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then other times, he would call on them and they would pray. But I noticed they all prayed about the same thing about every Sunday. Vietnam War was raging at the time still. And they, Lord, I just pray for the boys in Vietnam. 
and I pray for the, you know, mothers, and I pray for the families, and, you know, they pray about, and I say, you know, all these guys are saying the same thing, and here's what I thought as a kid. Now, God is an intelligent being. We're supposed to be intelligent, but we're saying the same thing in rote to him, and then it feels like it's just from our head and not our heart. What are we doing? We're just going through motions. And then I noticed a lot of the people that were praying and stuff, they'd go out and they'd light up their cigarettes and then they'd cuss. And I was a little boy and I'd go, he was praying earlier, wait just a minute. In fact, the head of the deacon board, uh, my friends were his sons. And I went to ride horses with him. He would cuss a blue streak. I said, whoa, that's the head of the deacon. And he would be praying. I said, whoa. I think James said something about that. Bitter and sweet water coming out the same mouth. What is that all about, right? Baptism with the Holy Spirit gives you a new way to pray. So say I was confused in praying. And when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit for the first time, here, here's the way I thought about it. The first time in my life, I said what I needed to say to God. You ever had that proverbial emotional knot in your throat? It's like, well, I had that all my, all my life as a kid. My emotions were all trapped and mixed up for a number of reasons. And I always had that little knot in my throat. I started praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. like, oh, my goodness, whoa. Well, everything I ever wanted to say, it seems like I just said it. And I don't even know what I said. But my heart tells me I'm okay. And that He heard me. And that He loves me. 1 Corinthians um, uh, 14, verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, Paul said, my spirit prays. Everybody say, my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. See, his, his spirit was praying. What happens when you're praying in other tongues? Your spirit is talking to God without your mind being involved. It's like your, mind, your spirit bypasses your mind and the prayer goes straight from your heart to God. Now, that's a, an amazing phenomenon. So I call it a supernatural way to pray. Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, For after I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. But my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit. This is amplified and helps nobody. What, then what am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me. But I will also pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. I'll sing with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me. But I'll sing intelligently with my mind and understanding also. So it gives you a new way to pray. So when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, that evening of, of September 12th, 1976. I mean, I'd never done that. My, that's like, okay, this is different for this Baptist boy right there. And I thought, this is really something. But, you know, all the way home that night, I prayed in the Spirit. So I don't know what I'm saying, but this is, oh, here's what I thought. This just feels really good. I'm going to keep doing this. Cause, and you know what I found out? My Baptist pastor was wrong. He said, speaking in tongues is of the devil. But here's what I noticed. The more I did it, the more I wanted to hug up to Jesus and the Word. The more I wanted to read my Bible. The more I wanted to pray. It didn't stir up the flesh. It stirred up the Holy Spirit in my spirit. It didn't lead me away from God. It led me to God. If it led me to God and led me to Jesus, how could it be of the devil? Somebody's mixed up. And I thought, it ain't me. Right? And ever since then, I just calculated, in fact, I told the people in the back, 
I, every day since then, since September 12, 1976, I, I spend time praying in the Spirit. That is in other tongues. It's a supernatural way to pray. And I looked it up. I did all the calculations this morning. 17,036 days of my life. No kidding. I've spent time praying in the Spirit. So I think, I, I think I've got a right to say something about this. Now, I've got a lot to say about this one subject that I want you to hear because I want you to know this will revolutionize your prayer life and will show you things, and I want to show you how it works. I have lots of anecdotes personally that I like to share with you, but I just can't share them with you today. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, as I conclude, for one who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands or catches his neat meaning because in the Holy Spirit, this is Amplified New Testament, because in the Holy Spirit he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. Wow. So what is he saying there? Number one, he's saying, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God. Let me ask you a question. Is there any value in talking to God? Huh? There, there is? So is there any value in speaking with other tongues? So if there's value in speaking to God and when you're speaking in other tongues, you're not speaking to people, but God, is there value in speaking in tongues? Yes. So should we belittle it and say nothing about it? No, we should say something about it, I think, don't you? And then this next part, for no one understands or catches his meaning. See, I'm not, I'm not talking to another person. Let me say this, demon spirits don't know what you're saying when you're praying in tongues. Did you hear me? You know, sometimes the devil may come in the room and listen to your praying. But you know what? You're praying in the spirit. He'll say, what you say? I'm not talking to you. Shut up. I'm talking to God. No one understands or catches his meaning because in the Holy Spirit, he utters secret truths and hidden things. What are secret truths and hidden things? Well, I can tell you by virtue of just living almost 47 years of this experience, those secret truths and hidden things have to do many times with the relationships around you. They have to do with your life and where you're headed, decisions you have to make. Sometimes those secret truths and hidden things have to do with your nation in the world. Many times it has to do with other people as you're praying. And I have lots of uh, anecdotes about that I'll talk about later, but I'm just saying that this one thing of praying in the Spirit has transformed my life. It has been an amazing experience, and I, I do it every single day. So there's three supernatural things that come with the baptism with the Holy Spirit, a boldness that you didn't have before. So maybe you're sitting here and say, well, you know, I, sometimes I don't speak up like I should. Well, you know the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, there will be an impetus inside of you to speak up when otherwise you wouldn't. I would have never shared Jesus with Jane. The little girl, Jane. I wonder what happened. I haven't seen her since I was a kid. I just wonder what happened to her. But I shared Jesus with her. See, it'll give you a boldness. And then and, uh, the understanding of the Bible has been, for me, just a really tremendous thing. Amazing to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you read your Bible, it's like a different book because the author of the book in his fullness is talking to you. 
Now, you can be born again, and you can read the Bible, and it can be very meaningful to you. I'm not saying that at all. It can be very meaningful and very, very good. But there's an enhanced meaningfulness, if I can say it like that, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the way to pray, this, this prayer thing. When I started praying, and, 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 and don't misunderstand, I do a lot of praying with my understanding. We had a prayer meeting this morning. We spent time praying in the Spirit. We spent time praying. Uh, with the understanding, I led part of the meeting and we had other people lead and we pray both ways in the spirit and with our understanding. When you pray both ways, it's amazing how you just feel fulfilled, just full. It's amazing to me. And now when I leave the place of prayer, it's like, thank you, Father. You just feel the fullness, the fullness of Jesus in your life. It's just amazing. So if you're here and you haven't received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, Say, what do you have to do to receive? Do you have to be perfect? Some churches teach this way. You have to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. A lot of the Pentecostal denominations will say that. In fact, they'll have that in their church doctrine. Saved, sanctified. That's not what the Scriptures say. No, you need to be set apart for God. You need to clean your flesh up. But I want you to know one of the purpose, one of the One of the hidden wonderful gems behind the baptism with the Holy Spirit is if you're a real carnal person. What I mean by that, that is you give into your flesh. Sometimes when everybody's looking, you'll cuss a blue streak. (laughs) Or you may commit other sins of the flesh and you're just not proud of what you do. And maybe you long for things that you know are wrong. You know they are. And, And maybe sometimes you yield to those things and you say, but... Pastor, I'm a believer, but I'm having a really hard time. I'm struggling. Listen, the baptism with the Holy Spirit will enhance your ability to say no to the flesh. I notice for me, I was just as carnal as you get before I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, I promise you. And I wasn't perfect to start with, and I'm not perfect now, but I can tell you that in your imperfection, God will begin to move in your life you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you need that experience. It will bring you to Jesus. And with the pressures that we're facing today in the world, we need something more than than human ability. We need the power of God. The reason we're going to one service is I want time to minister to people on Sunday mornings. And this has given me time. I feel it. You feel that? Are you in a hurry? Uh, Breakfast. You can eat brunch in a minute. Right? But God wants to minister His life and His power to you. And you know, uh, I don't see things in the world getting any better. In fact, I see a a really encroaching hard time. I see, it looks like there's going to be a financial collapse. Nobody knows when. They keep trying to put it off, but the chickens are coming home to roost, as the old farmer said. We made a lot of wrong decisions for a long period of time. And they're coming. They're, they're, they're coming up due and payable right, right soon. And then there's war looming in the horizon. And then there's so many things that are up with our culture. But I want you to know, I look at the future and I'm actually really excited because I see, I see Jesus working in people's lives in a fresh way. <laughs> and see, God has given us the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the ensuing power of God to deal with all of the pressures that we face. How many hear me? You know, I'm looking at the clock. If I had time, now in the notes, go get the notes. I've put it in there twice and haven't read it. Mark Barclay is a wonderful man of God. I read this in one of our prayer meetings recently, I think with the staff team on a Tuesday morning. I've read this many times. 
but uh, December 2014 Charisma Magazine had an article by Mark Barclay, and, um, and, uh, and Mark Barclay is, again, a pastor in, I think he's in Michigan, and a wonderful man of God. He was in the uh, Vietnam War. He was a, a decorated military person uh, of upper rank, and uh, anyway, just a wonderful man. Uh, but he was in a meeting in 1987, and he saw the future. And God showed him the day we're living in today. Go read that. It's in my notes online. I don't have time to read it this morning unless the Holy Spirit just really prompts me strong. He's not doing it yet, but I'm waiting. What do you say, Lord? But if you'll go read that, and I may at some point read it on a Sunday if I have time, but I'm just telling you, we're in a crazy time. But the really cool thing is God's beginning to move by the Holy Ghost. And if you'll embrace what he's doing, you'll be able to navigate through this time. And you'll, be, you'll minister to your family. You'll minister to your friends. God will use you to minister pe- to people you work with. How many hear what I'm saying? Wherever you are, God will use you to let your light shine. And instead of being discouraged about all of the current events, you, uh, current events you'll be encouraged because you know it's closer to Jesus coming back. And then this, when you, when you start operating this way, Instead of going, oh, my Lord, Jesus is coming, and then I'm going to stand before him. You're excited to stand before him because you know his blood has cleansed your sin, and he's made you right with your heavenly Father, and you're going to live for eternity with him. Is that exciting? Ah! Glory to God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Would you lift your hands up with me just a moment? How about thank God for invading your life? Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit and His power, His ability. Thank you for His influence upon us. Thank you for not leaving us the way we were. Lord, thank you. Those of us that know you, we just want to say thanks for just a few minutes. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses our sin and washes us clean. Thank you for forgiving and forgetting all of our past. Glory to God. You've cast our sins, the uh, the prophet said, into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19. Thank you. As far as the east is from the west, so far you've removed our transgressions from us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit living in us. Lord, those of us that are here baptized with the Holy Spirit, Lord, let that experience be stirred up in every life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for any person that may be here that is not right with you, has never been born again, except a man be born again, he can enter the kingdom of heaven. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, whether they're in the room or they're online, would go to heaven and not go to hell. May they call on your name and be saved, I pray. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. 